This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. The Waco History Podcast is sponsored by Brotherwell Brewing on Historic Bridge Street in Waco. Uh, welcome back to the Waco History Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Sloan. I've got John Kamenek with us uh, again for part three uh, of this case that he has uh, spent so much time researching and he's been uh, generous with his time here with us as we've kind of walked through it. Uh, but this is part three of the case and execution of Roy Mitchell. And so, John, I want to pick up where we were last time. We kind of left off at the Bolton trial is where we were in the in the trials. Well, that was pretty much a little bit of nothing on that trial. Mm-hmm. They uh, By the time they got to the fifth trial, they were uh, – some of the groupies were, weren't showing up, all the women. Uh-huh. But uh, it only lasted a day. And interesting thing, one of the people uh, – picked as a juror was uh mr gildersleeve oh really yeah oh wow he was and there was a few other celebrities picked out of the 60 people up to that point but not on that trial but um one of them was uh, uh parnell mcnamara's grandfather he was a deputy sheriff yeah and he, he became a farmer out in boscoville and then while he was a farmer they Picked him. Picked him as a jury member. And there were several people that were uh, late, went on to more important things later. There was one guy who became a police chief. Oh, wow. (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. Quite a few police people Uh got picked on the jury here and there, (laughs) Hmm. which might not really help Roy out. Yeah, no, it didn't help Roy's case any. Yeah. But uh, anyway, and they picked a jury pretty quick in the in the Bolton case. But, you know, you'd think that they were going to have Mrs. Hayes testify yeah. and maybe her father testify and and the the kids that helped find, help her out, rescued her. Yeah. None of that happened. Huh. I mean, they just, it was real quick and easy. They, except Roy kind of put a, a wrench in it. He decided to try a different tact on this one, and he come out and said how he, he wasn't guilty and and that the reason he was um, arrested that day was he'd been shooting craps, and uh, he got caught, and they took several people to to jail. And he said that he claimed there was a young man there that had a gold knife with uh, Harold Bolton's. Um, uh, initials on it uh-huh. well when Harold Bolton's body was found there was a knife still on it they, he'd taken the oh, quite a bit of money from him I think he got 20 something dollars from him he was a rich kid mm-hmm. and, and anyway got a bunch of money from him but he left the knife behind now he's trying to say that some kid at, at a uh, crap game had the knife and that he could testify and, and give his name if if he wasn't a Judas or or, or snitch mm-hmm. 
And instead, he he said, "I I can't. I won't do that." So yeah, different strategy. And apparently, yeah. the yeah, he was trying to show that there was somebody else that might have done it. Mm -hmm. Now, how the knife got from Harold Bolton's pocket when Roy seen it, when he, in his confession he says he left the knife, and then later on, it shows up in another guy's pocket, and then it apparently goes back to the uh, the man's pocket. Somehow it got back to Bolton. Yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, the, the kid supposedly got released. Apparently they didn't have much to hold him on for anything, but they kept Roy because of his uh, general description, basically. Mm -hmm. And that's when he was going to be taken over and shown to Mrs. Hayes. So, and you, we all know how that turned out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. So... Okay, so the Bolton trial is is a non-event. Yeah, yeah, they they have a few people testify. Um, they had the jeweler that uh, engraved the watch for for Bolton mm -hmm. testified as to the that that was his watch, and then they had uh, Mrs. Mitchell testify and another woman that lived at the house with them, and they just basically said that he was home at nine o'clock. Which is kind of the, well, the stock response yeah. that we'd hear all along. Yeah, and then it took uh, five minutes for for the jury to come out. And like I said, if anybody's t keeping score, it was 27 minutes altogether for not five trials. Wow, wow. <laughs> well, it's hard to beat a confession. Mm -hmm. I've read one of his of confession in two of his cases, and – I don't see why he even showed up. Mm -hmm. He should have just pled guilty and hope. Because the level of detail that's in the oh, confession, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it sounds just like him. It can't. Mm -hmm. So, the uh, there was a, a ranger there that he made a big compliment to all the, the police officers and everybody. He said how they were real professional and and did his best and well made everybody happy with that that was sergeant whitley hmm. then the next trial was going to be oh well next thing that happened was that roy come up and uh the day of the trial was march 30th and on the 31st he got with this uh, newspaper reporter and told him that he had something he wanted uh, published so he writes out this uh, testimonial, I guess you want to call it, saying that uh, all these people are going to find out the strangest things are going to happen in Waco the next, uh, well, he didn't say the next day, he just said uh, the strangest things are going to happen, everybody's going to see that his prayers can be answered and all this kind of stuff. So March 31st, he goes and gets that, and I guess he didn't figure on the, him publishing it right away because it, it got published uh, the day before April Fool's Day, <laughs> so I don't know if Roy was just pulling their legs or, mm -hmm. or if he was, uh, well, I'm sure he's just pulling their legs. Yeah, or he just missed the date. He didn't realize newspaper could be published that quick. <laughs> so uh, next thing he had to deal with was uh, would be the uh, appeals. Oh, well, actually, not the appeals. The 
The next thing was the grand jury come out then and indicted him on the Concord murders. Okay. And when he, they, three indictments for Mr. Baker, Barker, Mr. and uh, Mrs. Barker and, and Homer Turk. And, um, they were just going to try him first on the Mrs. B Barker uh, part of it. Mm -hmm. They, uh, uh, but the um, people that were um, of the grand jury, they decided that they were going to put a petition out for Benny Young and, and um, Cooper Johnson, the ones that were convicted of the murders of the Barkers and, and Turks. And they put a petition out and that started a, a firestorm then. Well, the main person that got concerned with it was um, uh, District Attorney Farmer. Somebody stated that he, he had signed the petition and he, he got all upset with that. When the trial came, he, he got on the stand and got sworn in and swore that he never signed the petition. Mm. He had to make sure that everybody knew that because mm -hmm. he didn't, didn't want to have trouble getting elected later. Yeah. And Homer Turk's, Turk's father went to the governor and got him, talked to him about it. And the governor said, well, if you can give me any information to just send it to me directly, I'll, I'll act on it. After that, the, they, they pretty much started the, the uh, Concord trial. It was set for April the 19th. They picked a jury fairly quick. Mr. Farmer did his regular thing. He read the confession. Mm -hmm. When the, the case was over with, I mean, when they started the Concord, just before they started it, they were talking about uh, the appeals. And he asked for an appeal. Mm -hmm. And judge wanted to know why, and he says, "Well, I don't think I was tried right." Now here he is; he's he's done given all these confessions, and sounded real good confessions too. Mm -hmm. I believed him. Of course, you couldn't believe everything he said. Yeah, you talked about I, that. I, I found uh, out later yeah. he 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 knew how to work the system, mm -hmm. and the. Judge told him, you have the right to appeal, but I don't delight in human misery, but you are one man that I will not regret sentencing to be hanged. <laughs> then later on, when the appeals came in mm -hmm. and he got six death penalties, he, he told him that, uh, uh, I wish I could hang you six times. Then everybody would have a, a little bit of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, wow. But anyway, the 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 trial started, and the this is one trial that I don't know for fact that Roy was guilty. Of. Yeah, I I can't can't put my finger on why. Well, the thing was Roy had gone to the uh, knew the area, and when uh, Cooper Johnson was arrested. And, and had his trial, they asked him why he knew so much about what went on, how he was able to say say different things. And he said, well, we were listening to all the white folks talk. That's how we, we heard what was going on. So um, 
when the, he had to do his little confession, which his confession wasn't that good. He he said that Benny Young killed killed uh, Mr. Barker, and and uh, Benny Young said that um, Cooper Johnson shot him in the back of the head and killed him. He got shot under the left eye in the face and mm. left powder marks. So this, their confessions weren't that good. Mm -hmm. They didn't listen real close to all the white folks, apparently. Mm. But anyway, the when uh, well, Sheehy was um, had done a lot of investigating on it. He wasn't the lawyer on the case, but they had um, uh, a guy named Duhith Young McDaniel and William McConnell and William McLaughlin, and they were all fairly good lawyers. Apparently, they went on to better things. He, um, they picked a jury and nobody really, oh, there is one name that stands out, the foreman. His name was Harry Lynch. And everybody that hears that say, oh, that's a great name for, for the last for, trial. Yeah, jury foreman on the last trial. Yeah. yeah. See, it's kind of ironic. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, they read the indictment. He pled not guilty. They, um, Farmer read the confession like he always did. I wish I could have got that confession. Now, that one I don't have. Mm. And, and let's see, the Driscoll one I got and the, and the, um, the Hope Denny Camp one I got. But, I don't know why they were kind of holding this one back. One thing though, um, Farmer didn't try the the case um, of Cooper and and uh, Benny Young, but Siegel was one that got the confession. So I could see that if there was some problem arresting the guy later on, mm -hmm. who and then because later on. Um, Farmer actually comes up on his his uh, closing argument and says, "I don't know who, uh, don't know um, who helped him. I don't know if uh, he had help. You know, I'm just and don't care if, if Cooper and them were innocent or guilty. I just know that he's guilty, mm -hmm. and he wasn't about to." backpedal any on on cooper johnson and them and everybody was hoping that roy would you know cut and be able to get them cut loose yeah that cooper johnson ended up dying um in the the, the poor farm a week before or just about a week before roy did mm. and Betty young ended up going to to prison for 11 years. And then I track him down to um, California. And he was, he'd been living there. He got paroled in, in 34. And it shows that he was living. They, they asked you the question, where were you in 1935? And he was in Fresno, California then. And then he moved in with some 
white guy with uh, four other black guys, and he was listed as a partner in that in that case. Mm. And I don't know what happened to his marriage that he supposedly mm. was married beforehand, but he ended up, they just had the number seven written down there, and, and it didn't show what seven meant for if he was divorced or what. Mm. I found a, a Japanese guy a couple page, uh, people down that had seven on his, his marriage thing too. So hmm. I'd like to, if anybody knows, just <laughs> give me a call. Let John know, me. yeah. <laughs> and the uh, Homer Turk's father testified next in this case. He told how they find, found the bodies and everything. And then Ranger Burton got to testify. In his case, he never really did, he he told said that Cooper Johnson and Benny Young probably weren't guilty. That was in his opinion, but he never said it on at the trial. Mm -hmm. And then he uh, then they and Burton had found the double bit axe that was bloody. And Roy said in his confession that he had used the double bit axe to kill the Turk boy. Mm -hmm. But he didn't the and then then the Roy also said that the, um, uh, the story to John Sheehy was that the reason they didn't rob the store, well, they went out there and 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 the 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 man Mr. Barker came out. He was going to put his horse up or something like that, and. He must have heard something or whatever because his hand was in his pocket clasped around an unopened knife. Mm. And and then he was shot in the, in the below the left eye and bullet went through his head, hit the, the wall of the store. And then man the wife and the Homer Turk came outside and Homer Turk got killed. Well he got hit. He died a day later. But and then he ended up going back in the house, but the and then the the woman was killed in the house. And anyway, they say that the reason they didn't, uh, he, the reason he didn't rob the store was because there was dog in there. Mm. <laughs> and she he had investigated, and he found a one detective that uh, a deputy Smith Dozer that verified that there was a dog inside the store, and then. Uh, Ranger Burton also had seen a dog inside the store. That when they opened the door, come running out, had been sitting on a pile, a sack of potatoes in there. Hmm. So he, he had a good dog. He mm -hmm. protected the store at night, <laughs> <laughs> but didn't protect him any. Mm -hmm. Now he, um, she, he did get the 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 sequence wrong. He said that the the woman and, and boy were killed first and then the man was taken outside and shot. Mm -hmm. But that was 50 years later. I've found many a time when people wait 50 years to do the memoirs. It, yeah, it gets, it gets it off a little get bit. a little bit out of joint. Yeah. Then the Burton said that there was a, the uh, Mr. Barker was killed with 38 caliber and the trial before he said a 41 caliber. Now that mm. that got that finally got the lawyers up um, 
complaining. Because of that discrepancy. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing was, Benny Young and them surrendered a 45 caliber rusted gun that couldn't shoot as a murder weapon Mm. that they used in the trial against them. So, (laughs) then IMAC Wood, uh, he was one of the deputies and he apparently was used as a tracker. If If you see a picture of him, you say, he looks like a school teacher. He's kind of small. He wears glasses, and and but uh, apparently he was good at tracking because he tracked them. Uh, he ran some tracks from the from the back of the store area through the field in the back to the railroad track, mm. which was quite a, quite a ways away. Mm. And then he quit at the store. Now. Roy said that that's the way he escaped and that and then he continued on to Lakeview and got the inner urban there and came on home mm-hmm. which and I keep I complain quite a bit about uh Ella Farmer's version yeah. of everything. Yeah, you mentioned that. Yeah. Oh, it 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 just bothers me because in her case um she had said first that in in her true detective magazine the first part she puts out Roy Mitchell as a as a um, his name as a suspect right off the bat saying that he was uh, that somebody had heard Mr. Cowan's car the man he chauffeured for mm-hmm. and it had a distinctive sound mm-hmm. and this distinctive sound uh, just Everybody knew it, and, then, and they, they heard it that night. Well, and when he was investigated and questioned and everything, they got Mr. Cowan out there. And what they did, they said that Roy had gone and dropped the car off at, at Mr. Cowan's house with Mr. Cowan, gave him the key, and just... Uh, didn't lock the the lock, just clasp it on there. Mm-hmm. Well, here in the in the trials, they have no mention of a car or nothing. Oh, really? Okay. So if yeah, where where she get that? Yeah, yeah where she yeah. get that? Yeah. Now there is a a person that says that earlier at nine o'clock they'd seen a they were driving into Waco and there was a car ahead of them come out of the store about nine o'clock real fast and drive off. But the shot wasn't heard till ten o'clock, mm-hmm. so she might have been taken that. Well, she might have been told that, and used it to, and then came up with this story about a, a distinctive sound. Mm-hmm. But the problem also was, how did he get the car out of the garage? Mm-hmm. Now this was at Twelfth and Franklin. It was, there was garages on the bottom floor on one side of the, and then there was. Apartments across the top. All those apartments across the top had people living in them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he could have opened the door, rolled the car out. He might even had his, his helper with him at the time, or he could have gone and got him. Now he's got to push the car down the road a little because this car's got a distinctive sound. Mm-hmm. And this is February. Weather's cold. 
you know, sound travels in the cold better. Mm -hmm. You can have pushed this thing a couple blocks down Franklin Avenue or Austin or Washington, something like that, mm -hmm. till you can get in it and drive it off. Yeah. And then if somebody else happens to know that distinctive sound, they say, hey, I hear, I heard you leaving the other night. Yeah. <laughs> Same thing of getting it back. Mm -hmm. Now you got to get it back. You got to stop. You got to push it down the street. Mm -hmm. A couple of black guys pushing a car down the street, mm -hmm. middle of the night. And then you got to get it into the garage, hope that nobody's awake upstairs, hope mm -hmm. nobody's coming home or leaving at that point. Mm. Now, she got fed of, uh, either she was doing it just to, to make the it sound good for the for the for the readers yeah or, yeah but the problem with that is lots of people have used her account mm -hmm. as, without, as the story of what with, happened without yeah. going into it and, and investigating it mm -hmm. yeah on the Concord trial she there's a lot of things that don't get told because uh, that was she was said in fact, she actually says in the last thing of, the, of, of her story that Roy was never tried for the murders of, of the, the Barkers. And, the, and, and said, well, that's, that's not true. Yeah. No, it's not yeah. true. The yeah. longest trial he had was that. Yeah. It wasn't a real long trial. Yeah. The, they, they started out at 9 o'clock. At 4 or 3 o'clock or so, they ended up uh, going to the jury and then the jury about five something they went ahead and and um, went to deliberate I'm going to quit for the evening came back nine o'clock the next day and then at 11 they went ahead and found him guilty so they, they took their time they, they mm. said that there was one guy that was holding out for a life sentence mm. and that's that's what's kept them slow. I see. But uh, then there was, uh, Roy said that there was a, he had thrown away a Mr. Barker's snap purse in a field, and she, he had gone and took that information and tracked down a bunch of school kids. Well, he, he found one man that lived at the next door that had found a, a purse that was all wet and everything. And they, him and his uh, guy that was driving his cattle for him found it and they they uh, just tossed it away because it was nothing in it and it was trash. And then school kids, somebody else had found a handkerchief that had some blood on it, possible blood on it. And then there was some, uh, they asked the question and Roy knew and the watch wanted to know what kind of watch he had and Roy knew it was an Ingersoll watch so but then again Roy also uh, went to both trials of Benny Young and, and Cooper Johnson mm -hmm. he went to all of Benny Young's most of Cooper Johnson's and he went to the the final uh, was it attorney speak at the end mm -hmm. closing arguments. closing arguments yeah. he went to that on both of them mm -hmm. so he knew all the whatever facts were in there and he could have just been doing it to 
to help out somebody. Mm-hmm. Might be why he never gave the man's name who was his helper later on. Mm-hmm. But then again, uh, he he didn't want to be a Judas. He didn't want to give up that young guy with the knife, yeah. <laughs> even yeah. though he might not have existed. <laughs> So the the so this is the last trial. It, yeah. it ends in April. April, right? We're in April. Yeah, twentieth yeah. or so. Yeah, okay. And, and uh, trying to think if it, the uh, yeah Roy talked in the trial. He 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 said that it was a responsible thing for him to do. Was to testify. Was to testify for Benny Young and, and Cooper Johnson. Mm-hmm. But he said that he used the double bit axe on Homer Turk. And the Professor Gooch from Baylor, he didn't testify, but he sent a, a letter saying that he found blood on the, the double bit axe, but he didn't find it on the single bit that had come from the, the Cooper Johnson and, and this, the employers. Because they tried to say that one was used on one person, one was on the other. And, mm-hmm. and that was part of the uh, Cooper Johnson's confession, I think, too. Mm. So, so much for his confession being worth anything. Now, Roy said that he went out there after the, the day after the murders, too, and visited the site. So there he is. He's going to the trials, two trials, well, actually three. He went to Ivory Clay's trial as well. He went to three different trials that he was responsible for. Mm-hmm. And then he goes to a murder scene the day after. I don't know if he was just going to see if, what what was being said or did or what. Mm-hmm. But he gives two names for this one guy. And the, the guy, well, they never did find him. It was Bill Miller or Bill Smith, something like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there was somebody named Bill mm-hmm. that he went with, a white guy. So anyway, they they found him guilty pretty quick on that. They, um, oh, the the little girl test didn't testify either. Hmm. Now I could see why they wouldn't have her testify. She she would have been five years old at oh, the time. Wow. Yeah, and if she couldn't te- uh, verify it was Roy, then that wasn't good for the. The one case, but so they went the uh, let uh, Burton and and the the girl's uncle tell what she had told him. Mm. So they used hearsay on that mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. It worked on the the earlier trial yeah. against the other people. So why not use it again? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like I said, uh, by five. Uh, Five o'clock or so, they rested and, I mean, took the day off. And now, like I said, and Point and, and Farmer definitely made sure that everybody knew that he didn't sign the petition. Mm-hmm. And again, don't be messing with white women. Don't be killing people. It says he uh, said he did not know or care if they were guilty. He was only sure that Roy had swung the axe that killed Mrs. Barker and Homer took. And he did not know if he had help or did it alone, but called for death sentence either way. Hmm. One unusual thing that happened, though, Roy come up 
and said, normally he would say, I didn't kill those people. Well, in this case, he, he come out and said, I didn't kill Mrs. Barker. Hmm. So that leaves to say that the other guy did. Mm-hmm. Now, he's, he confessed to killing Turk. I don't know who, who shot, who confessed to, to shoot Mr. Barker. Mm-hmm. But so I guess he wanted it on the record that he did not kill her, but hmm. he, killed, he killed a little boy. But Yeah, wow. And they only got 2 or $3 for the problems. Too. Yeah. Well, I think they got a few more dollars from Mr. Barker, but mm-hmm. they didn't say how many. Hmm. Well, like I said, I've had trouble with Mrs. Mrs. Farmer quite a bit. Yeah. I, I'd gone and I... It, it's not so bad, but the, the thing is, when a lot of the newspaper accounts and stuff like that, you can just read them from other places and magazine accounts and realize that the guy just phoned it in. Sure. <laughs> you yeah. know, it, yeah. it's just garbage. A lot of them would come out and say, yeah, he, he, he killed all these people at Lover's Leap and on Cameron Park. He was a killer of Cameron Park. He shot one and killed one in mm-hmm. Cameron Park. Mm-hmm. There are others he did on 12th street he, or tried to do on 12th street, did out in, around Concord and, other little locations around town. Mm-hmm. He switched it around. Mm-hmm. But when it come to, and then just because Mrs. Farmer should have known, should have been given the right information, but she kind of dressed it up to herself. There was a one incident uh, when Roy confessed, they were saying that he, uh, she said how the uh, lightning was flashing and the water was pouring and and you know it looked like a Dr. Frankenstein movie. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Very dramatic. Real, yeah. real dramatic. You know, he went in there and he started confessing and you know all this was going on. And I went ahead and looked up and seen what the weather report was <laughs> that day. And it mentioned there was a general rain, about I forget a quarter inch or something like that of rain happened. <laughs> they didn't mention any thunderstorms or anything like that. <laughs> but, but the we next can't. thing they did was r- do some appeals. Yeah, so there's a there's a period of appeals after the last trial. Right. Yeah. And Roy writes a couple letters mm-hmm. and in it he he pretty well lies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he says that he, uh he wrote three letters all together. Mm-hmm. One was real nice, so I think somebody might he might have had somebody else write it for him. But the other two are definitely in his his handwriting and and all. But it's, uh, so, what, what's the essence of his appeal? What grounds is he saying? Oh, he, he wasn't allowed to see his wife. Mm-hmm. He couldn't get a lawyer. He was given, uh, lawyers were given to him, but they never showed up. And he'd be given a different lawyer when he, sh- when he went to trial, mm-hmm. we'd never seen before. Now there was one case where one lawyer was, was picked to be his lawyer. He had two others with him and that lawyer had a, a trial he had to go to in Belton. So that he might've used that as excuse, but he still had the other two lawyers Mm -hmm. and he had, well, I think he had a third lawyer assigned to him, 
So, and then, oh, he was he was found guilty on no evidence at all. Well, he didn't mention all the stuff they found in his his house. Didn't mention all the confessions. <laughs> so he he didn't argue. I mean, you mentioned earlier that someone later is going to say some of the evidence was planted. He doesn't make no, that argument. He never yeah. makes that argument. Yeah, he yeah. just says it. There was no evidence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, he then he goes and uh, uh, the, the now the attorney general got uh, district attorney general got this uh, got the appeals. What they did they they sent the appeals off real as soon as possible, and Farmer was really pushing to get them in. Mm -hmm. He was wanting them back by May something, mm. and they didn't come back till by a part of June. But, and then he went down there to make sure they were signed and everything, and and uh, they put them in the mail. And he rushed back to Waco to see if he, they they as soon as they got him, he was going. Uh, it was his death warrant, so mm -hmm. he wanted to get it put in there and you know put the final nails in his coffin but anyway in the appeals um uh the, the assistant district attorney for uh, attorney general i mean when he got a hold of him he said if there was any case that merited the death penalty it was this case hmm. and then the uh the uh Supreme Court people got a hold of a district clerk of the Supreme Court got a hold of it and they went ahead and read the the letters and gave them due diligence but they said didn't add nothing he just mm -hmm. he didn't show no proof he didn't uh, didn't send an attorney he said he was going to send an attorney that his wife was trying to get some but he could couldn't talk to his wife because they wouldn't let him and he wrote the governor to to have him allow them to let his wife talk to him. And I don't know what governor did or not. But then when the, uh, when they actually, they do the ruling, um, they, they publish it on June 28th. And it says the judge Starts out, he says, the facts revealed by the record are unfit to appear on the printed pages of the record of this court. There's always a but. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he goes on, however, to state, he shot and killed a man whom he had never seen before the night of killing, ravished and shot and killed a woman companion of said man, robbed the dead body of the man, tied it on behind a car and dragged it over the ground, beat the bodies of his victims over the head, which he only did one that way. So mm -hmm. they were incorrect on that w with a gun barrel and deliberately took what seemed to him all necessary steps to remove evidence of his crime. Mm. And then, <laughs> so they gave him, due, due, but then they didn't find it <laughs> credible. So yeah. anyway, the, the uh, last, on June 29th, it was mailed and they were trying to get it before close of business on Saturday, June 30th, mm -hmm. which they did. They got it by one o'clock, which is pretty good for, yeah. for mail. Yeah. Can't, it takes what, seven days nowadays? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And this is back when they used to deliver twice a day and everything. Mm -hmm. So anyway, then they they went and got Roy and um, Stiegel, uh, Hobbs, Jackson, and Wood were all the they um, brought them from the jail, handcuffed and uh, with a lead chain with Stiegel holding on to the chain, and brought them before the judge at five o'clock and then. What they did, they got a whole bunch of uh, dignitaries to show up, a bunch of other judges and everything, because this was the first time that this many people had ever, this person had, a person had ever been found guilty of that many capital offenses and sentenced to that many death sentences. Mm. I don't know if anything's like it since then, but mm -hmm. nowadays, you know, you just, guy kills 12 people, they go and they, they, uh, Find, charge him in one of the murders and then if that doesn't work they charge him in another one yeah. instead of going all 12 yeah, at once and do, do, instead of doing six death penalties yeah. yeah yeah no point in doing that yeah so they they do yeah. this kind of ceremony at the courthouse yeah they what they do the, they yeah. they they read the mandate to them okay. which says you've been found guilty and yeah you got some uh, and then they had to go do all this figuring 30 days till uh, at first they were worried they were thinking it was going to end up in August sometime because mm -hmm. if it didn't ship, get there on Saturday on time it would be Monday then 30 days would take you into August mm -hmm. and they, they, they got to be, be precise and all mm -hmm. they ended up figuring that it, it was going to 30 days would end up on on a Sunday so they said well we can't hang them on a Sunday mm -hmm. okay so they, they gave them a Monday uh, date, July 30th at mm -hmm. 11 o'clock. Now, uh, apparently he, somebody said that he, he was maybe getting a little grumpy and he, he said, you know, might as well get it over with, that kind of thing, which was possible to do if you wanted to. Mm -hmm. uh, you could waive your, your rights. There was a man in... Uh, 1902, Jim Buchanan killed a person or, or somebody, and Sheriff Spradley in Nacogdoches caught him, got him to trial. They had the trial. They had some militia men there. And I've seen a picture of these guys. They look like little boys in Boy Scout uniforms. Mm -hmm. And they, they had some leftover uniforms from, from the Spanish-American mm -hmm. War. And... Uh, Anyway, there was about a dozen of them at the most. Well, there was many more times that people outside, mm -hmm. and they had cut the telephone wires. The, I mean, the well, all the the telegraph wires. They um, surrounded the courthouse and all. They even stole, uh, took the train out of the depot and put it down the track so it couldn't be used. And so the judge asked the, the, the defendant in the case who had been found guilty, said, uh, they said, you know, you can either give us the, the guy and we'll hang him or you can hang him or we can burn down the house, mm -hmm. <laughs> the place. Mm -hmm. And they, so they, they talked to the defendant and he went ahead and waived his rights. So three hours after he was, uh, he was taken out and hung three hours after being found guilty because mm -hmm. 
at least and it was done it was a legal hanging then mm-hmm. well I, kn- I know that i mean i know there was a big concern with this case about mob violence uh, about a mob breaking in and getting mitchell and so i how much of that did you find in your research no they yeah. they went out of their way not to have that happen yeah they they had at, at the trial at, i mean at the hanging itself they had i don't know 30 40 policemen mm-hmm. that they brought extra plus all the regular ones mm-hmm. and uh, don't know if they had any rangers at the, the hanging but they did hit all the trials except the Concord trial they had a ranger and by then everybody said well you know six times mm-hmm. i mean five times he's going to hang mm-hmm. there's no problem there mm-hmm. now later on when the, when he was executed and, and his body was taken to the to the uh, Restland Cemetery, they sent five policemen along, I mean, sheriffs and all along with, make sure that nobody took the body because mm-hmm. they were afraid that they might do Jesse Washington or yeah. Jesse Thomas on them. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. but they, no, they, there wasn't going to be anybody, uh, not with Stiegel in charge. Mm hmm. And at the the gallows, I know they set up temporary gallows. You may be getting to this in, in your in your talk here about how they kind of uh, staged the execution. Yeah. The, well, what they did, they they investigated the the clock tower, found it was decrepit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Along with the rest of the building. Yeah. People were kicking their way out of the windows and doors and mm-hmm. concrete floors and everything else. I went, I found there was one with a death watch, even watching Roy Mitchell, there was four people escaped from the, from the jail. <laughs> but uh, next thing that went on, before they, they got prepared to, to do the execution and everything was that back in 1915, when Roy was arrested for the uh, Enoch problems, there was a, a family that was attacked down in Temple, mm-hmm. uh, the Grimes family. And what happened was this guy, well, they were laying there in bed. The mother had given birth to a set of twins seven months earlier and she was had them in in one bedroom and she was nursing them and taking care of them at, at night so she kept the babies with her and then the father had the seven-year-old son with him in the other bedroom and then the i think they had three daughters three other daughters that were under between like two and and six years of age mm-hmm. they were sleeping in another bedroom well, a guy named Will Stanley shows up. He come walking down from, from Fort Worth, and they say that he, he had a pair, uh, pair of shoes that had no soles in them. Hmm. He goes and snatches a hammer out of a, a, a railroad place, a track hammer, they called it, what goes in there, Hits the woman, well, hits the woman and the man in some order. I know who got it first. But anyway, knocks them and then 
hits three of the, the, the two uh, small children, uh, the twins, hits them with a hammer and hits the seven-year-old boy with a hammer. The other three kids in the other room aren't, aren't molested in any way. Well, the three children die. The parents wake up the next morning all groggy, don't know what's going on. Mm -hmm. And they send the other little kids go get help. The police start looking for whoever, the sheriff and everybody starts looking for somebody. So they do a big roundup. Roy Mitchell is, he was arrested on July 11th in out between Riesel and, and Mart by Hobbs and Stiegel. He goes, he apparently made bail because he was down in Temple on July 29th when this all happened. Mm -hmm. And they picked him up and questioned him. Now, they probably questioned a whole bunch of people because the guy that they finally caught was walking down the road and he runs into these two black guys. This was a black guy that did the killing, Will Stanley. And he walks down the road and he finds these two other guys and they say, hey, things are real hot. There's this murder of this family and they got all this stuff going on. Everybody's getting questioned and this and that. And he tries to sell them a pair of pants that he's got on. Pants, he's got the pants over another pair of pants that he's wearing and they got a laundry mark of the Mr. Grimes <laughs> name in it. Mm -hmm. And he tried to sell them for that so he could get a pair of shoes. Well, they didn't want to go with the deal. And then they separate. He goes on down to Rogers where he's arrested mm -hmm. with the pants on still. And he, the sheriff comes and gets them. He tells them that these other two people were involved. He had four different stories altogether. Mm. Number one, that the... Uh, well, let's see, the other two people were involved somehow. Oh, that they all uh, killed. Uh, they were One was that they were all to uh, paid to, to kill Mr. Stanley, uh, Mr. Uh, Grimes, by a white guy. Another one was that they had, um, uh, oh, that they had done the killing. The other two guys had done the killing and was sell, trying to sell him this stuff. Mm -hmm. And then they, uh, let's see, said that the other two had sold him the pants. First off, he said he, he bought the pants in Fort Worth. Mm. That's a good deal. <laughs> that is really a coincidence that you're going to be walking just by the guy's house that that must have I wonder what Mr. Grimes did without pants when he come back from Fort Worth mm -hmm. and then when mm -hmm. this guy bought them up there so, yeah he he uh, got the pants in Fort Worth and then the second one was that the other two people sold him the pants and then he said the other two uh, rested with him uh, had helped him uh, had helped him had been involved with killing, but he just held the horses. Well, if he's got horses, why is he walking? So, yeah, yeah. I mean, how's these two, all these three people walking down the road get horses? Yeah. 
Well, anyway, he, the sheriff come and got him and took the other two with him mm -hmm. and was trying to give him to, to Belton. Well, the mob kept uh, heading them off everywhere they went. They ended up getting into Temple and they got into this three-story building and barricaded themselves in that, the sheriff and the and several other people. And uh, that left the mob outside. The mob, they eventually sent some committees in to, to talk, to try and see if who was guilty. And they went ahead and kind of held impromptu trial and the, the two men got off. They were able to prove that they had nothing to do with it well enough and the sheriff quickly got them out the back door and told them to get mm -hmm. and then they took will stanley out he goes outside and first thing he does is start talking saying yeah this white guy paid me to do it and somebody just walks up and shoots him mm -hmm. kills him mm -hmm. right on the spot mm -hmm. now they what you going to do you got a dead dead guy if you wanted to hang well let's burn him mm -hmm. so they they went ahead and they they burned him, and when they did, uh, you, there is a a um, they had some um, postcards of the event, and I've seen the the picture. You can go to and uh, look it up on the internet and yeah. see where a whole bunch of lynchings were done and whatever. And well, in his case, he's sitting there like this in a bodybuilding pose with his arms out all burned up and they've wrapped a, a white cloth or something around his, his waist mm -hmm. and hung him from a, um, a guy wire. You know, a lot of people get him confused with Jesse Washington when, but mm -hmm. different case. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you can, there's definitely, when you see this guy, you say, man, this, that's a mess. Mm -hmm. and, and it's got no trees around it you know mm -hmm. it's not the downtown yeah. atmosphere and all but anyway they were selling postcards for 10 cents a piece post office put a stop to that real quick mm -hmm. they, they wouldn't allow them to be mailed or delivered if they were mailed mm -hmm. but apparently one or two got out there mm. but anyway after they they got took care of the body and all some kids were playing in the in the ashes trying to find souvenirs or whatever mm -hmm. found a gold ring in there that they verified belonged to the cousin of the grimeses mm -hmm. the girl had come had visited a week or two before and left the ring behind and he apparently got that and stuck it in his clothes somewhere and when he got burned up it, it came out wow so clothes <laughs> name mm -hmm. in it and then they went and and uh they investigated him a little bit as far as uh what uh, what his life had been like mm -hmm. before that mm -hmm. and they did they, they he'd come from uh, abilene i think just before that where he was accused of of uh, robbing fellow prisoners and fighting with them then he had done a uh, he'd murdered well a man had got lynched because of him mm -hmm. over a murder another one was serving time for well i think the man uh, 
one got lynched and uh, for a murder and one got uh, in jail either for rape or murder one or the other mm. so he had and that was just recent mm -hmm. <laughs> that was before uh, just before he come to so they and they talked to the guy whose name he gave is the one that supposedly uh did um did the uh told him to to kill the uh, grimeses and he said, I don't know nothing about nothing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what that was all about was um, Stiegel had been told that, you know, you have all these unsolved murders in the counties all around here. And they went to Roy and tried to get him to to uh, confess, confess to, to yeah. something. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're going to uh, confess to why not do a Henry Lee Lucas? Yeah, sure. Let's, <laughs> let's clear the books. Yeah. yeah. Everybody, everybody's, oh, that sounds good. That, mm -hmm. Sure, he, he did it. He wasn't born yet, but he did it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so anyway, they he didn't confess to the three unsolved murders that he never confessed to. He didn't confess to the Grimes, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. He didn't need to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They definitely had the right person there. Mm -hmm. So he, what he did do was he ends up uh, giving up where the gun is, Driscoll's gun is at. Mm. He, it, uh, there's a guy named uh, uh, Wesley Erath who was living a mile north of Elmont and he had sold him the gun for eight dollars, and this was after the uh, uh, Bolton shooting. Because he he fired off all the rounds already. Mm -hmm. I guess he didn't want to take a chance of buying more bullets or something like that. Yeah. Maybe he didn't know how. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But he sold it to to Mister Erath, and Erath had worked with Roy for a couple years, so they knew each other. And but do you really want to buy a gun from a man that, you know, he sure gave that up fast. Mm -hmm. I would have mm -hmm. said, I don't know where this gun come from, but you might please officer, will you check it for me? <laughs> but that, you know, he had said that that, that, that gun had been sold to a Mexican on the square. Erath had sold it again. No. Oh, okay. No, he, yeah. Roy had told, said in his confessions, which I were proved 100% accurate by the police, mm -hmm. that he had sold it to a Mexican. I see. So Roy was holding back stuff. Mm -hmm. he, did they get the gun from Erath? Oh, they, yeah. yeah. They, okay. Hey, Mr. Erath, we're the officers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You're not going to say no mm -hmm. unless you don't have it for yeah. some reason. Yeah. Hopefully, and then you know they're going to search the place. Mm -hmm. They're probably going to hold you as a material witness for a week or so Yeah, as well. So they continue to find some more evidence yeah. of his guilt. Yeah. And just before he was hung, he uh, gave up Driscoll's watch as well. Mm. It was at Stamler's in Detroit also. Mm. Well, now, I wonder what, what the connection was with Stamler and 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 Roy, mm -hmm. I mean, I knew know they know each other and mm -hmm. and all, but was he just a fence or was he a accomplice? Mm -hmm. I can see why he'd want to 
move off to Detroit to, to I don't know when he went to Detroit mm -hmm. at what time it, it was definitely after the Driscoll killing but you don't know exactly when don't yeah. know when and, mm -hmm. and it was he was up there by the time of uh, the uh, uh, Skipworth uh, killing happened mm -hmm. in November so sometime during the summer he left. I see. Hmm. So Roy knew how to to work the system. Mhm. Mm then they So anyway, they they decided to get ready to to hang him. They were hoping he'd write um a, a confession out as far as who his helper was. But mm -hmm. He never did do that. The um but like I said, they um, they they checked the tower out, found that it it was couldn't been used. It was last used in 1916, hmm. and that guy had um, that was John Washington, and he ended up um, strangling because it was it wasn't enough of a drop, hmm. and Roy was supposed to be taller than him, so they were going have to have a bigger drop mm -hmm. and the floor was decrepit and then uh when they hung nathan lee in the courthouse in brazoria they had uh, i want to say they said 400 people in the clock tower witnesses because you know it it's a you can't have a public hanging but you can have a, a legal private hanging and invite as many people as you want <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They just have to all be on the jail property inside yeah. the jail property. Yeah. yeah. So hmm. I could see if they tried to get well. In this case, they they put out invitations to all the victims, mm -hmm. and just because of the number of victims and and all, they uh, they were they said we're just going to have one or two from each group, mm -hmm. each each family, mm -hmm. and uh, the only family that didn't. Uh, a 10 was the Barker family. Mm. I guess he was mad because he lost his, the money went to the girl instead of the, the him. Mm -hmm. But the, uh, so they took, took the, the trap mechanism off the, the, the jail tower. And, and what they were going to do, they, a week before the, the execution, they, they decided to go ahead and build the scaffold because it wanted to make sure that it was done and done right. Mm -hmm. And there was a metal door coming out the second floor of the courthouse. You can see it. I mean, not the courthouse, the jail. You can see it on a lot of the pictures. And what they did, they just built a platform up to that so they didn't have the outside 13 steps. Mm -hmm. And just took a day to do it. Cost $21.80. And they, uh, which was like three or four hundred dollars in today's prices, mm -hmm. but they used uh, uh, two by twelves, ship uh, uh, bridge timbers, and then when it was all over, they took it apart and it did it in one day too. Wow! So that's pretty good pay for one day's yeah. work back then. So where was it on the? Can you have you been to kind of look to get yeah, a sense of where it is? I would say yeah. it was, 
pretty much right underneath the bridge. Okay. It goes from the courthouse over there. Yeah. And it it was 16, what was it? I think it was 16 foot squares what they built it. And there was at least that much room between, there might have been just a little bit more room than that between the, the building itself and the alleyway. Mm-hmm. So there was a fence along the alleyway apparently. So the, there was a, it, it might not have gone all the way to the alley, but mm-hmm. close enough. Okay. And so they, they, uh, they also went rope shopping. They, they had offers from uh, Dallas was offering some rope that had already been used in, oh, maybe a dozen different hangings altogether. Mm. Yeah. They, uh, but they decided they they bought twenty five foot of silk manila rope from from uh, McClendon Hardware Company. Mm-hmm. Now the the story uh, with the tornado, mm-hmm. they always talk about of the Jesse Washington being dragged, uh, you know, well being taken from the uh, court of the alleyway out and and that. They'd gotten the rope supposedly from Dennis Building, and that's why the Dennis Building was destroyed. And well, I don't even know that they've used rope. I think it was just a chain. But either, either mm-hmm. way, um, he he wasn't dragged that way. So, and the same thing with Roy. They um, they got they. We know where the rope come from. It come mm-hmm. from a hardware store, not a furniture store. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and the uh, what were the events leading up to kind of the day of the execution? Yeah. Well, they um, things were kind of quiet for a while. They had a death watch on them. Yeah. And uh, so they kept a, somebody in the. The, not the cell, but they, they, and back in April, they also made what was, what was called the Roy Mitchell cell. It was a cell within a cell on the second floor and had double doors and, and to make sure that he didn't get out mm-hmm. since everybody else was getting out. <laughs> but anyway, they were making sure that he didn't get out. And then they were also, um, but then just before, um, the execution, they moved him downstairs. What it was, if you look at the the story in where uh, Clyde Barrel escaped, mm-hmm. they show a picture of the of the desk where the jailer sat, and they show the stairway going up, mm-hmm. and that was the interior. And then somewhere, just probably just off to the right of the stairway, was where they they kept Roy Mitchell right there, because from the from where the um, the scaffold was, it was 15 feet over to the window where his he was, which was 15 feet closer to Sixth Street. Mm-hmm. So after they they did the, the after fortunately they only spent a day, like I said, hammering and sawing, because mm-hmm. it usually gets on people's nerves. They say it got on. Uh, um, um, Nathan Lee's <laughs> nerves down there mm-hmm. when, when they were preparing, preparing to ex- the, yeah. the chamber. Mm. 
So they went and and uh, they also went clothes shopping for him, but he didn't wear the clothes, and he went barefoot. You got to be comfortable on a day like that. It's July. It's you know night. It's getting up on eleven o'clock. Mm-hmm. Sun's out. Mm-hmm. Of course, now they might have a little shade, but it was, but you had four to ten thousand people standing there too, talking and, and jabbering. So it sucking the air out of the mm. area but you, you hear all kinds of different stories of how many people were there yeah yeah that and, is a wide range of est- estimates i've seen that estimate yeah. before yeah and the thing is well i've seen pictures of it but the, the one picture i saw of it by mccall uh, was probably taken from by the ymca building after the execution where and by then, it, some people had cleared out, mm-hmm. apparently. It wasn't person to person all through there. But they had people on, up on top of the, the auditorium building at 6 in Columbus, mm-hmm. YMCA building at Franklin, I mean, in Washington and in, in 6th Street. And people were all in the courthouse, of course. And then some people were back behind it in the, uh, on, that there's a building um, used to be good old garage, but right there behind the courthouse on Fifth Street. Mm-hmm. But they uh, they ended up um, well. They had, of course, the mandatory uh, sandbag drops, mm-hmm. and that went on till the the day before the the hanging. Mm. I know that could get a little nerve-wracking, too. I would imagine, yeah. Because, see, now, Roy, he was a trustee when when John Washington was was hanged. And he said, I wish, I, I hope nothing like that ever happens to any family member of mine. Mm. And then later on, when when they were talking about uh, the upcoming execution, he said, yeah, I'd Back when that happened, I didn't know I'd be the next one. Mm. So that kind of tells you that hanging doesn't really deter crime. Mm. Capital punishment doesn't. Um, there was a Mr. West Gilbert wrote a, the Death on the Gallus, which is mm-hmm. 400 and something uh, uh, people that were hanged in Texas from way back when to, to Nathan Lee. And they they all go through pretty much the same thing. They get up there. They say um, they might say goodbye to everybody. They'll say how the jailers treated them kindly. They'll say how they're going to heaven. They're going to see everybody in heaven. And of course, now you had the the few in there that didn't. Mm-hmm. One guy stabbed a the sheriff and then his his brother hung him <laughs> the sheriff's brother hung yeah, him. yeah and then then you had others that got up there and just told everybody what they thought of them uh-huh. and and of course they all they were all innocent too so you just had a running if they didn't do that it was, it was why didn't they do that mm-hmm. you know what's wrong with these people because they say that you know this is your one chance 
to have a crowd of people listening to you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but Roy didn't have much to say. No. And well, bef before they hung him, they, the, uh, um, they had to go through the, the, the regular procedures. They first fed them steak and eggs and, and uh, fried potatoes, and, but they didn't list everything that he ate. And, um, and then they, uh, then he had this uh, uh, religious advisor. His name was O.R. Smith uh, Hatfield. He was a Church of the Nazarene preacher here mm. in town. And he was, was, uh, was with him till about uh, nine o'clock or so for sure. And then from nine to 10, the uh, Sheriff Stiegel and, and Farmer went in and talked to him because they were really wanting him to, to tell them who, who done it mm -hmm. <laughs> with him. Mm -hmm. And if he had any help or anything like that, and he wouldn't talk. Then the, um, um, then there was two people sent, well, contacted here in Waco and they were contacted and asked to go and talk to Roy and find out if he would tell his story and why he'd done it. Now, he, he supposedly told everything he did wrong to the preacher. And according to Stiegel and, and Farmer, he admitted to, that he was guilty of all the crimes that he was convicted of. Hmm. Well, that, so that, they that, said supposedly that's what he told the preacher is that he did everything well, or that, that he had confessed to them. Yeah. Well, don't really know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, let's just old ask Roy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he might tell us the truth. He might not. But anyway, they, they talked to these two individuals, representatives of the governor, and he, he confessed to the crime, but he wouldn't give up the name of the person. So it still tells you one, you know, who was he trying to protect, or if he even knew who to protect. He could just pick somebody he didn't like and, and yeah, give give him the name up. Yeah, but he said that he wasn't going to be a coward or 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 a liar or a, a snitch. So they went ahead and and. Um, Walked him well, 11 or just before 11 o'clock comes. He was downstairs. He goes up and they open the, the cell door, puts his arm out, they wrap it up, turns around, puts his hands behind his back, they wrap him up there. Then they, um, he starts to go up the inside stairs and the, the, um, um, Stiegel goes to help him make sure he doesn't fall because it's hard to walk up stairs on the last day of your life like that. Mm -hmm. And Roy said, Hey, I don't need help. I'm, I can do, I'm, I'm going to be steady. And Stiegel said, well, I'm not going to need any help either. I'm, I'm fixed when I pop that trap and, um, they go on upstairs and, um, uh, he's joking with the jailers as he goes, 
different officers there while they're unlocking the, the door and they open the door. Now there's a picture of, of about 13 or 14 people on the, on the thing and some more people coming out of the, of the door. And I believe it's a Gildersleeve picture mm. and it was taken from, uh, either upstairs or of the courthouse or on the roof, one of the other, yeah. you can just barely see a little piece of masonry off to the side. And then a guy named McCall apparently was on the, on the, the scaffolding itself because they show a picture of, of Roy standing there. He's got a noose around his neck and, um, Stiegel's got the black mask up underneath his arm. Interesting thing about the black mask, the, the man that, uh, the tailor that, that did the, sewed it up and everything, that was his third one to do. And his name was Mike Adams and lived, lived not far, about a block and a half from where I live over by Satan albums hmm. and uh, his father, his, uh, his son-in-law was uh, Leon Jaworski. Oh my goodness. So, wow. So there's all kinds of yeah. combinations and people knowing each other and this mm -hmm. and that, but I don't know what happened to the mask. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was yeah. Just a black bag with a, a, a tie string. But mm -hmm. anyway, when, when, Everybody was expecting him to come out and, and say something. All he did was say goodbye, everybody, first off. And then after they got the mask on him, and they, they also they tied him around the ankles, around the lower thighs, and I think around the body. I'm not sure. So he was real trussed up and everything. And they, uh, he was heard to mutter, uh, take me home through the mask and he might have said uh he might have been muttering a prayer when they actually kicked mm -hmm. the thing off but Stiegel popped that thing at 1102 mm -hmm. and the doctors down were stationed below him mm -hmm. and and they were they had um, they said his heart stopped and then beat a little and then came back and beat a little bit and then stopped again for good and then after about 20 something 25 26 minutes they declared him dead mm -hmm. and then what they did they um they had a um, um hearse well they they already had the coffin there they'd been storing it in the in the back of the, of the jail they put him in the coffin put him in the hearse the four or five officers went directly to Restland Cemetery and one newspaper come up and said that, and you know, I was talking with my, my late girlfriend and we were saying, I wonder what happened to that gold tooth. Who got that gold tooth? Mm -hmm. And I'm reading the newspaper account and it says burial was taken care of by a dentist. And I go, oh, it's gone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, dentist got it. Some yeah. dentist got it. Mm -hmm. Death certificate gives the name W.L. Dennis. 
Oh. <laughs> who was a well-known undertaker here in town. Okay. Mr. Dennis, the year after that, he, he went into business with Boykins mm. and was with him until, until he ended up committing suicide in 1941, hanging himself out there in Cameron Park. Mm. So a lot of little tentacles out there, yeah. combinations, everything. But the actual location of the grave is if you go out South 9th Street, uh, well, used to be there was a bridge going over uh, Garden, uh, the ditch there at Garden Drive mm-hmm. at Restland. They have, yeah. have sign over it and everything. Well, now the sign's gone and it's all grown up and, and the, the, the bridge was taken out a long time ago. There's a a pole still there. I don't know if there's two poles or not. I, it's solid briars and everything there. And uh, that used to be the way to get in there. But, and then you had the, the white section along the garden drive. Then you had the Mexican section was next. And then the black section. And originally you had two five acre tracks there. And then what they did, they put that ditch through and it cut across one of the five acre tracks and all that land was sold to Oakwood Cemetery. And then what land Oakwood had on the north side of the westernmost five-acre track went to the, to the uh, Restland Cemetery. That's why it's so different out there. Mm-hmm. Now, I've seen a 1934 map that's in the archives that shows where all the graves were at that time, but with no uh, possibility of telling who's who. Yeah. You know, later on, there was other people buried out there as well, and here and there in the black and Mexican and white section. But uh, but if you go, you can't get there from, gar- you can go Garden Drive up to 12th Street, and then there's a, subdivision across from Wolf's right there. Mm-hmm. Go in that subdivision until you get to 9th Street, and that's the cemetery. Well, on the extreme south end of 9th Street where it stops, you got a gate there where you can get in. And then there's a, a walking gate up the uh, a little further to the up north 9th Street a little bit. But anyway, right there where that gate is, there's a ditch that runs off. And on the left-hand side of that ditch are all these modern graves with all the little markers and everything. Mm-hmm. And on the right-hand side of the ditch, the south side, is the end of the black section. I see. So 1921 or so is when they started burying people. Roy was buried in 1923. There's between the start of that and... This one tree, that the first tree you get to in the black section, there's about 42 spaces altogether. So the question is, if there was 42 people ahead of Roy, you know, he got to a little bit of shade, or did were they going this way back and forth, or were mm-hmm. they going up and down? Mm-hmm. We don't know. Nobody knows. Yeah. Well, well. And I'd like to think he's under the shade tree there. Mm-hmm. My ex-girlfriend, she... She she said this 
this is, he's got to be right here. <laughs> I said, okay. It was a, she wanted to do a, 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 a tour and everything. Mm -hmm. and it, I'm going to put a plaque on this thing, call it Roy Mitchell Tree. And <laughs> I said, well, get permission first. <laughs> well, I'm imagining at the time they're concerned about his body being taken. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But the strange yeah. thing was the when they uh, got out there, before they buried him, two white women showed up and wanted to, to see the see him. And they went ahead and opened up the grate, opened up the coffin, mm. showed it to him, and then they they just turned and left and no word, didn't say nothing. Mm. Don't know who they are. Mm. If anybody knows if grandmother yeah. or grand for a reason who this was, let us know. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> There's so lots of unanswered questions. You know, mm -hmm. did he do it all? Did he? Why did he do it? You know, all that kind of stuff. Things you'll never know. Mm -hmm. You just. But the reason I wrote the book was because so many people had just well. So many people just messed up accounts. Mm -hmm. They would they would start out good. There was one guy that was a, uh, a witness to the. I got several witnesses here. There was one guy that was a witness named Rotan Johnson. Mm -hmm. He's Joe Johnson's uh, father, and there was a, a lawyer who became a judge. His name was Rusty Duncan the Third, up in Dallas. He died about four or five years after becoming a judge in a car wreck. Mm. And either he wrote the story up for this lawyer magazine or or he had a law clerk do it because it was just terrible. Mm. And, and on his notes, he puts Rotan Johnson as his, his informant. Well, I put down my book. I said, if, 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 Rusty Duncan says that Rotan Johnson did it, then I don't know that Rotan Johnson even exists. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was such a bad account. Oh, really? Yeah. But, you know, you start out, the first killing might be right, and then after that, it's just mm -hmm. all over the place. Yeah. And and uh, then I ran into Joe Johnson at the HEB, and we got started talking, and I said, want to know how he was related to Rotan. And he, he said, well, my middle name's Rotan. And it's, that was my dad. said his dad was at in the judge's chambers w watching the execution. I see. And, and uh, so I had to adjust that on my book. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Say, yeah. he does exist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he was there. <laughs> mm. We had, uh, there was, let's see. Let me get the names of the people because there was quite a few that I ran into through here that. Uh, These are witnesses to the execution? Uh-huh. Okay. Let's see. Well, besides all the cops and everything, mm -hmm. the physicians, there's a district clerk was there. And then the uh, William Bartlett was there. He was 18 and a future lawyer. And he got uh, he got to see 
who actually cut the rope. Mm. And he said it was a messenger boy for the uh, Western Union. But 70, 50 years later, he still wouldn't give the kid's name up. Mm. <laughs> he said he wouldn't be right if he did that. Mm. So he was a witness to, to everything. Then there was a guy named Bill Gensler that was 10 years old at the time. And his uncle had taken him there. And the uncle had, um, both of them caught hell when they got home, mm. when the mother found out. Mm. Wow. And he wasn't the only kid there. I was at the library and I was talking to this woman and she she said that her uh, her grandfather's name was William David Neal and his son's name was William Alfred Neal. And he was five years old. He got to watch the whole thing from his dad's shoulders. Mm. And she was just just appalled at the idea that her five-year-old father was was there at the, the yeah. execution. And mm -hmm. I said, well, you know, not a lot of things happening and everything. You know, something like that, you can say you, you were there. And there was Mr. Brumfield, who was a neighbor of the Barkers, was out there. And then he was interviewed in 1975, and he was a firm believer in capital punishment and gun control. And Arthur Crow the, of the Crow Laundry was there. William Foster was the, he mm -hmm. wrote the uh, article about it in the observations. Yeah. And uh, showed a, had a picture of St. Johnson too. Mm -hmm. The one that had the, who pulled his tooth out. Yeah. And uh, he was there. And then there's this, there's this one woman that I, I knew right after I came to Waco almost 50 years ago. And Mrs. O.C. Herdman, Mary Herdman, and she was telling me the story. Her father was a, um, had died just a year or two before this happened. And she was living with her widow mother, Eloise Quarles. And the, they had come downtown that day to do, a, to do some shopping. And they run into all this big old crowd. So they said, what's going on? And and somebody said, oh, they're hanging Roy Mitchell today. And she snatched up Mary and they took off and said, mm. <laughs> you can't see this. Mm. And they started to go home. And I said, Mary had enough news. Oh, his, her father was uh, James Hayes Quarles. And he was a well-known newspaper reporter. And I said, she had enough news ink in her, her blood to put up a fight, mm -hmm. but she still didn't get to see it. Yeah. Well. And uh, then there was, uh, I say, that what would a hanging be without a boy meets girl story? And I said, well, this is not that story. This one guy was telling me that his mother was Roxy Wanette Thrower. And his father, uh, she had gone as a 17-year-old to the to the execution. And James David Moody was 24-year-old. He was there, but didn't meet. But years later, after Mr. Moody's first wife died, he married Roxy. Mm -hmm. And they got started talking. And one thing led to the other, and, you know, about past experiences. And... Mm -hmm. 
I said, oh yeah, I was at Roy's hanging. Yeah, I was mm. too. And wow. It's one of the things they had in common besides um, their son that told me the story, <laughs> Hayden. One of the things that uh, in the state that makes this execution is it's one of the last. Uh, Second to the last. So, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> well, it's uh, the last public one. Yeah, la last. Keep saying it that way. Last, last public. I mean, it's kind of a left-handed brag, uh, yeah. but I mean, that, that. I mean, well, because happened? the law changes. The law changes with regard to execution, right? No, yeah. the yeah, they yeah. they they botched it as far as keeping yeah. it from being public and and uh, a regular, a real one. Mm -hmm. Now, what happened was the right off the bat uh, after he was executed, they first off they they said that. Uh, Somebody come up in the newspaper and said, this is probably going to be the last one. Well, that day is the day they had Nathan Lee's trial mm -hmm. in Brazoria County. So they didn't have that information yet that there was one other person that got the death penalty mm -hmm. coming up. And he was uh, the, the changeover was supposed to be August the 14th. Mm -hmm. Well, he was grandfathered in because he was – on the well, and then he was able. To, he was hung on the last day of August, or whatever. But um, the problem is, this uh, you, the law said you had they hang him uh, between uh, hours of such and such and such and such on on the day that he's supposed to die, and then you're supposed to. Uh, the difference between a public hanging, public hanging is what you see in all the cowboy movies. Mm -hmm. Everybody goes out there, they've got the guy in the wagon, they, he, or they kick him off the, the horse out from underneath mm -hmm. him, and that's public. Mm -hmm. Private is when you, you invite certain dignitaries, victims, that kind of thing. They're allowed to see it. But the public itself is not allowed to see it. Well, that's how they do executions. I mean, that's how they do executions now, right? right. Yeah, yeah. And it's not a public execution. Yeah. It's yeah. You know. mm -hmm. Well, anyway, when the tarp fell, now everybody could see it. And instead of you know, since they couldn't do it in the clock tower, they could have just as easily done it anywhere else. But they had to do it on the the grounds of the of the jail. Mm -hmm. You know, you couldn't go out there in a big old field or something mm -hmm. like that. It had to be, it could be on any, it could be in the yard, could be on the roof for all that matter. Mm -hmm. if they, just depends on how you want to do it. Mm -hmm. So when the tarp fell, it became public. Yeah. And they could have, he could just say, hold on, you know, lift the tarp back up and, and threaten to shoot anybody that knocks it down again or cuts mm -hmm. it again. But so where was the tarp? The tarp was around the around the, the front. I okay. mean, I'm not sure how far it, okay. how far it extended which way. Yeah. yeah. You know, I don't, I'm not sure how they attached the ropes. But the idea was to kind of block a public view right. of it. Okay. Right. It was. Mm -hmm. You know, the witnesses down below could see it. The mm -hmm. now. You also, you don't let the, the prisoners see it. Mm -hmm. Move them to the other side of the jail, but they get to hear that slap of the rope and the thud yeah. of the yeah. of the trap dropping. Yeah. 
So the Lee execution is a private execution that's held inside inside the, the inside the jail, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm. and and the last one, mm -hmm. which made me want to know, well, who's the next? Who's the first execution? Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, they first off they were going to have the the warden do the executions from then on out. Before mm -hmm. that, it was always the sheriff of the county. Mm -hmm. They did it. Well, the warden says, "No, nah, I retire. I ain't you don't pay me enough." So he retires, and then they had trouble with the setting up the, the device. Now the assistant warden, he was saying, I'll do it, I don't care, I'll do it. And they said, no, no, it's gotta be the warden. And he's like Barney Fife, you know, he, mm. I'll do it, Andy. Mm. <laughs> and the, no, you can't do it, it's gotta be the warden, do it. And they, uh, they ended up running, uh, okay, they were supposed to do the first one like the first of September or so. It wasn't until like February the 12th or 10th or something like that that they, they what they did, they hired a, a ex-sheriff to, to become a warden. And they run five people through there in two hours time mm. one night, mm. which one guy, the first one that they start to go through they had taken him and and he had a call in to the, the governor. So they say, okay, well, we'll take you out of line. They put him on the end and then they did the other four and then, well, governor ain't called yet. Mm. Have a seat. Mm. <laughs> mm. Mm. Well, it's, uh, it's amazing the research you've done here, John. Yeah. The, only other thing I did, I got an epilogue, which I tell what happens to all the different people involved with it and everything. How, mm -hmm. But, and then family members, uh, how, how they turned out. Mm -hmm. Surprisingly, a lot of them were in the uh, uh, service. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. A lot of them served in, in Vietnam or Oh, or Korean War too, mm -hmm. some Navy, Air Force, Army, mm -hmm. but uh, they their lives weren't as rosy as it could have been. They, mm -hmm. some of them, um, the one, the only granddaughter, she ended up having the best life, and she ended up being a, a educator up in New Jersey, mm. and the. Uh, his son, he he went mi a career military, but he only lived until 1956. Somehow, mm. can't find out how he died, but he died in Fort Dix mm -hmm. after his fourth enlistment. Oh wow! He was a World War II vet, and then so, and then the many side of the family. They they she was interviewed at one time while during the last 30 days and she she come out and said she Roy didn't tell her his business <laughs> mm, okay she ended up basically perjuring herself on like four different trials and mm -hmm. but uh, she ended up remarrying in 1926 and that man died within six months and then in the 1930s she married uh, Leroy Majors, and 
he, uh, 1940, he's in the, uh, uh, in Dallas working. And then she moves up there with him and dies in 1941. Mm. She had a, a brain embolism or something like that, that some fancy name for a stroke. Mm-hmm. And, uh, her uh, granddaughter said how how badly she was treated all those years that people would see her on the st- street and spit at her and yeah. slap her face and mm-hmm. and and treat her poorly. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, I sure appreciate you yeah. coming and sharing this. It's been a journey. Uh, yeah. But I mean, it's reflective of the depth of research you did. To, well, I could uh, make up some stuff. We do no, no, no. Let, let's don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Thank you, John. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Waco History Podcast. Like what you heard? Subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes so we can reach more listeners. You can find show notes and info on every episode at wacohistorypodcast.com and more info on Waco's past at wacohistory.org. Our theme music, used with permission, is Cross the Brazos at Waco, performed by the late Billy Walker. For more info on Billy's music, go to billywalker.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. This has been a Rogue Media Network production.